You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. It's one of my favorite sounds. It's a sound on Sunday morning of everyone opening that thin piece of plastic on top and then the foil, the sound of crinkling, but it's the sound of us interacting with God. It's the sound of communion. It's the sound of communion with God and of God meeting us. That's the sound of God in this room. And I love that sound. And, and every Sunday, that's one of my favorite moments, is, is hearing that sound of us meeting God. This morning, we're going to be looking at a song. The song is, uh, we're doing this series and the verses, and we're looking at the story behind the songs. And this one, we're looking at a song that's all based on resurrection. And if I mention resurrection in the Bible, you would probably think of Jesus, right? It's the, most, it's the most prominent one. It's the most important one by far. But I don't know if you realize, there's a bunch more or several more resurrections, individual resurrections in the Bible. So we ask first hour, I'm going to ask you, let's say the over-under on resurrections in the Bible is five and a half. So how many people, raise your hand if you think there's under five individual resurrections in the Bible? Nobody, all right? How, so uh, over five, everybody? All right, you guys are way smarter than second and then first hour. Well done. Uh, the, uh, there is way more. I didn't realize this, but uh, as you go through, just do a search of resurrections of the Bible. You're going to come across some amazing stories. There's a story of where Elijah uh, raises the the widow's son, uh, brings him back to life in First Kings 17. Then in Second Kings chapter four, Elisha does the same sign, same thing with the Shunanite, Shunamanite's son. There's the resurrection of uh, the story that's mentioned in the song that we're going to sing of they were burying this dead man and some raiders came by. They're in a graveyard and, and they were burying it similar close to Elisha's grave and raiders came and they were going to take him and so they quickly just throw the dead man into Elisha's grave and once he touches Elisha's bones, he's brought back to life. There's the story of, uh, of the widow of Jesus in Luke chapter 7, raises a widow's son. In Mark chapter 5, Jairus' daughter, he raised from the dead. There's the story that we're familiar with if you grew up in church, and of the story of Lazarus, of Jesus' friend, of, and his sisters, Mary and Martha, who say, Jesus, where were you on this? You would have saved him. And he says, if only you have faith, he'll, he'll still be saved. There's Tabitha in Acts chapter 9, who is raised by Peter. And Ichthus in Acts chapter 20 was raised by Paul. These are several of the individual resurrections, not to mention that in Matthew 27, it says the resurrection of the dead, the graves opened up when Jesus died, and many came back to life. And so this idea of resurrection is all throughout the Bible, and we're going to be looking at one amazing story of resurrection found in the book of Ezekiel. This is the, the, the foundation for the song, Rattle. If you guys are familiar with that song, it talks a lot about uh, resurrection and starts off with uh, Jesus is with Friday and is here and Sunday's coming. It mentions the man who falls on Elisha's bones, but then this idea of this rattle, 
this rattling sound, and that's what we're going to dive into today. Ezekiel chapter 37, if you have your Bibles, open it there, and uh, this is where we're going to camp out for most of the day, but I want to give you a little background of that before we get into 37. We'll give you a little background even coming from chapter 36. Ezekiel was a prophet of God. Someone that God had come and he would speak to Ezekiel and Ezekiel's job was to go and proclaim what God had shared with him. But if you read through the book of Ezekiel, he does some crazy stuff. Ezekiel seems like he's a little off kilter and he does some, some wild things of all the prophets, I think. If one was to, to fit in really well at Discovery, it'd be this guy, right? Because he does crazy stuff. He goes and prophesies to uh, a forest at one point, to a mountain at another. He does many different things, but these are all times that he is following through with what God is telling him to do. And so Ezekiel is speaking to a nation that has been exiled, to a people group that are no longer together. The nation of Israel is split into two kingdoms, and the northern kingdom has been ransacked and, and overcome 150 years before Ezekiel gets on the stage. The southern kingdom has recently been taken over by the Babylonians, and so all the people have been sent out among the nations. This is because they've drifted away from God. God had warned the people of Israel that this would happen, that if they were to be, remain his people, if they were to continue to follow him, he would protect them. But if they were to drift away, he would let the enemies come and take them away. And this is what has happened. This is the scene that Ezekiel is stepping into, that the people have received the consequence for their actions. God has allowed them to be spread out. And so verse, chapter 36, God describes in verse 19, he says, I disperse them among the nations. And they were scattered through the countries. I judged them according to their conduct and their actions. They drifted away from God, and so he dispersed them. But it says in chapter 36, he says in verse 24, for, but I will, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. That they have been dispersed and punished, but there is hope for what is to come, that the people will be brought back together, and ultimately that bringing back together would be unified through his son, through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That through Jesus, we are all brought back to God. And the, and the acceptance of him, that we are brought back to God and we will re remain in heaven with him as God's family. And so you have the scene in 36, the people have been spread out that are among the many nations and Ezekiel is prophesying to those that are in re remaining and he shares this vision. Like I said, throughout Ezekiel, God has asked him to, has taken him many different places, has taken him to the canal where he watched the people go by, has taken him to the Jerusalem, to the temple gates, he's taken him several different places, and here in this vision, he takes him to a valley, a valley of death, a valley between two large mountains, and it comes down, and in this valley is a vast array of bones, of death. Everywhere he looks, Ezekiel finds himself looking upon death. This is where we pick up chapter 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. 
as Ezekiel is prophesying this vision, as Ezekiel is sharing this with the remnant of the people, the, those that do hear, the Israelites that remain, they would be mortified at this scene. Because for a Jew, it was uh, to be tr- the way you were treated in-, in death was highly important. That the body would be cared for and wrapped up in cloth and placed in a tomb. This was incredibly important for the Jews. Remember Jesus when he dies. And Joseph of Arimathea goes and takes his body down, wraps him up, puts him in a tomb. Because it's that important for the Jews. That the women would come the day after Sabbath to anoint him and put spices on him. Because it was important to care for the dead body. And here is a valley of dead bodies that have not been cared for. A valley, a, a vast army, a scene of a battle where this army has been destroyed, this army has been killed. And instead of anyone coming and grabbing the bodies and wrapping them carefully and putting them in a tomb, they've just let them be here to rot away. Wild animals and scavengers have come and ripped off the flesh. Birds of the air have come and had their fill. And now it's just the skeletons with the sun beating down on it, drying out these bones. So Ezekiel, a man of God, finds himself in this scene of dead bodies. To be around a dead body meant that you'd be unclean. A man of God couldn't be anywhere near a body, a dead body, let alone an entire army of these bones. And so we got to think of the agony as Ezekiel is seeing this vision that's going through his mind. I can't be here. I shouldn't be here. This is unclean. Why, God, have you placed me here? It reminds me of Peter's scene in Acts when the cloth comes down and God tells him to eat. And he says, no, no, these are unclean animals. It's this battle within of do do I follow God and and what about this tradition of cleanness? And so Ezekiel finds himself among these bones and says that God had him walk back and forth in amongst the bones, probably stepping over body, trying to find a place for his foot in between bone on this side and dry bone on that. And God speaks to him. Imagine this, it's you, and God is speaking to you in this valley of death. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? No way, God. That would be my answer, surely not. Look, there's these, it's just bones, there's nothing left, there's, there's no bodies, this is Death. Everywhere around us, animals have ripped off the flesh. The sun has beaten down. Maybe I'd even pick up one of these bones. God, no way can life be as it crumbles in my hands. But Ezekiel, he says, I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. A great answer. Because in our hands, no. Life could not come. In our hands, in our ways, this is death. And death is permanent. Death is not, nothing I can change. Nothing I can, nothing I can do about it. But you alone know, God, what is impossible for us is possible for you. And so Ezekiel, even though he's amongst this vast army of death and of bodies laying on top of one another, everywhere he can look says, God... Only you know if this will live. Romans 4, 17 says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. 
He is our Father in the sight of God in whom he believed. And here's a key. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. We cannot give life to the dead, but God can. And that's what we're about to see, and that's what we started by thinking, looking through those resurrections. This is something man could not do, but God could. Brought them back to life, and he's, God sees a pile of dead bones. He sees a valley of this, of this army, and he sees that he could bring life. So Ezekiel 37, verse 4 continues. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then, then you will know that I am the Lord. When God sees this army of broken bones, he says, I will breathe into them. And this, I, this word for breath in, in the Hebrew is ruach. And the same word that's used for breath is also used for wind, also used for your spirit. I will breathe my spirit into them and they will come alive. This is what God sees when he sees the dry bones. As we look at this story, we have to think sometimes, does this apply to us or to someone we know? That spiritually, we're dry bones. Spiritually, at once we were alive, but spiritually, we're just dead. And it feels like we've been dead for a while. That there isn't much there, there's, there's no life, and, and what was there has been scavenged and picked away. And now we're just brittle, dry bones, and yet God sees, and he says, I can bring my spirit there. I can bring this to life. I will bring it anew. And what for? Not for the sake of this army, not for the sake of these bones in the valley, but that we would know God, that you will know that I am the Lord, he says. A living and powerful Lord. That he tells Ezekiel to prophesy this because these are God's words. And God's words are incredibly powerful, are incredibly strong. And the Bible is full of God's word. It is alive and active. God's word is. And the Bible is. It says in John 6, 63, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Jesus' words, the words of God speaking to Ezekiel, are full of life, are full of power. God's words in that Bible that you may be holding right now, that Bible on your nightstand at home, that Bible perhaps covered with dust on a shelf, it's alive. Is full of his words, is full of his power, is full of his breath, is full of his spirit. And so these words that God is going to speak will come among these many bones. And verse 8 says, I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the Lord says. Come, breathe from the four winds, and breathe into the slain, that they may live. 
He proclaims, come, breathe into them. Bring your spirit into them. Call for the spirit to come into this field of bodies that they may live and they may rise and they may be alive. Same scene that if you're thinking through is familiar with the creation of man. Right, Genesis tells us in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth and he created the vegetation and he created all the animals and then, then he created his masterpiece, mankind. Genesis 2.7 says, Then the Lord God formed man from dust on the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became living. That God got up close face to face and breathed, gave his spirit into man, and man came alive. This is the only creation, the only creature that God does this for. For all the animals on the land, birds of the air, fish of the sea, they have life without God breathing into them. But for man, it makes a point to let us know that we have God's breath in us, God's spirit in us that brings us to life. And so Ezekiel is prophesying to this valley of bones, to now this valley of bodies. And it says, verse 10, So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. What was impossible for man, as Ezekiel sees these bones and he asks, Can these bones live? Surely you know God. I'm not going to make an opinion because I know I couldn't do it, but God, surely you know if you can. And the Spirit fills these bodies, and they stand as an army for the Lord. And then God explains this vision. Verse 11, it says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Perhaps that verse echoes what you might be having in your heart. Perhaps that verse is echoing what's in the heart of a person that you know and love and you, you cry for them that they would come to know God. But they feel like they're, that they're dry bones. They feel that there's no hope. They know that they've cut themselves off, that at one time they walked with God, but they've made decisions, that they've made sins. They have just been busy and walked away from God, and now they are dry bones, cut off from the Lord on their, by their own doing. As the Israelites had committed these sins, drifted away from God, that they were sent out, it was their own doing that they were separated. And yet God sees them and breathes into them. Verse 12, God continues, Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. My people, I will bring life back into you. This spirit, this breath, this wind will come into you and you can live again. Verse 13, he says, Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. This isn't for us. This isn't for our glory. This isn't for our story. This is so we can point others to God, that he would be glorified, and he would know, then we would know him, and others would know him through this breath, through the spirit that's alive in us. And I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, 
and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that the Lord has spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. I will put my spirit in you, and I will live. This is Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. The Spirit is placed in us, and there the Spirit will live. And as for each one of us, as we've accepted Jesus as our Savior, as we've accepted Him that He died on the cross for our sins and rose again, that the Spirit lives in us, that this breath is alive in us, that we are not a valley of dry bones, but a vast army, a vast movement for God, full of His Spirit. And so I ask us, where are you today? Where are you today? Maybe worn out and tired. Perhaps you feel like dry bones. Perhaps you, you don't necessarily feel like dry bones as much as no backbone in your spiritual walk. You feel convictions, but you don't do anything about it. Perhaps that we just feel like we're full of, not the spirit, but full of hot air. That we're faking it trying to make it and people see that we look like Christians, but we're dry inside. Or, or maybe perhaps we're full of his breath, full of his spirit, this army, ready to go and be an example for God, point others to him. Where are you today? Spirit is in us. That same breath that God spoke through Ezekiel that breathed into this valley of dry bones and brought them to life was the same breath that breathed into Jesus as he died, as he laid in a tomb and brought him back to life is the same spirit that came down in Acts chapter 2 is the same spirit that is alive in us today to bring us life. John 10.10, Jesus tells, he says, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy but I have come that I may have life and have it, that you may have life and have it to the full. This spirit brings us to life. Ezekiel 37 is a story that is our story, that he has come that we would have life and have it to the full. Not just to get by, but to live for him. This life that is for God. As you look at that story, there was something Bill Heightfield, uh, one of our elders, mentioned to me that I didn't even catch the first several times that I read it, but when he mentioned it, I loved it. And it's the, what the, the authors of this song, Rattle, picked up on. When God spoke, and these bones, this valley of dried, rotted, and crumbling bones began to move, there was a sound, a rattling sound. That was the sound of God. The sound of God working. We heard that this morning at this communion. The sound of the foil and the sound of the cups is the sound of God working with each one of us, connecting us and communing with us. This is the sound of God working. Can you imagine that? And so as he mentioned the sound of God working, this rattling sound, it made me think about what are other sounds of God working throughout the Bible. And I didn't have to go far in Ezekiel 37, uh, Ezekiel chapter 3 has this great example of, God, of Ezekiel hearing the sound of God working. Chapter 3 verse 12, Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a loud rumbling sound, as the glory of the Lord rose from the place where it was standing. 
It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures brushing against each other, the sound of the wheels behind them, beside them, a loud rumbling sound. This is the sound of God working. What's the sound of God working in your life? Is there a sound that you can say that I've seen God working in and through me and this is what it sounded like? As we go through the Bible, those made me begin to think of other sounds. And, and I shared this with Sarah late one night this week. And she just started dreaming about these other sounds. And think about the sound of the waves crashing down at the Red Sea. As Moses has taken the Israelites through, and they look back, and the Egyptians are hot on their tail. And it's the sound of God working as those waves crash down to set them free. It's the sound of thousands of people contently eating joyfully speaking to one another as they eat the bread and the fish that's fed thousands from one little schoolboy's lunch. It's the sound of water splashing as Jesus comes up in his baptism and the dove comes down. It's the sound of a bleeding ram caught in the thistles as Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac. It's the sound of Jesus bending down and riding in the dirt the sound of the people dropping their stones, not attacking the adulterous woman. It's the sound of Jesus saying, Lazarus, come forth, and hearing him come out with the, the mummy rapping, and the sound of the gasp of all the people that see this happening. It's the sound of when a baby takes its first breath and begins to cry, and the sound of Jesus on the cross with his last breath proclaims, it is finished. This is the sound of God. So I ask all of us, have you heard the sound of God around you? Have you heard the sound of God through you and in you? Because is, all these examples are opportunities where people were willing to follow where God was leading, and so they heard and they saw God. Because Moses was willing when, he, when God asked him to take them out of Egypt, that he was willing to do that and step forward to lead the people, that he heard the sound of those waves crashing down. Because Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac, he heard the sound of the ram that was caught in the thistles. Because Jesus was willing to be faithful and obedient and take our sins on the cross, we heard the sound of the temple ripped, in, the curtain ripped in two. Three days later, the sound of a stone being rolled away as Jesus walked out of that grave because people were willing to follow God they saw and heard the sound of God and so this week this day I want to encourage you there's bones on the seats and uh, we got plenty of bones and if you didn't grab one if your your rose full grab one on a seat next to you because we wanted everyone to take a bone away today and let this bone be a reminder that you put it somewhere in your purse, in your car, maybe at home in a desk drawer, whatever that would be, but when you would see this bone, you would be reminded. You would be reminded of God's rattling sound. You would be reminded of what was once dry bones, but when the Spirit comes upon it, when the breath comes in it, it is now alive and an active army. That this bone would be a reminder that God can do the impossible that when you see a valley of dry bones, surely you know, God, if this could live and God made it alive. That this bone would be a reminder of those that were willing to follow him heard the sound of God. I pray that today, this week, 
you will hear God working around you, that you will hear a rattle. If you'll stand with me and pray, God, I pray that we follow you with this passion and this boldness that is willing to be able to say, surely you know, God, that when we might see the impossible, when we see things that we cannot do, it is not up to us, it is in your hands. And as we see the work of the Lord, as we get to hear the sound of God all around us, that just like with this valley of dry bones, as they come alive and become a vast army full of your spirit, that they would be able to point and say, this is the Lord's handiwork. This is God's hand. This is God's spirit and breath in them. God, I pray that this week we would proclaim who you are, that we would live as a life that is full of your spirit, live as a life that's full of your breath, not be the dry bones, but to be a vast, alive army that's here for you. And God, that we would hear the sound of you working all around us. God, I pray this, that we would hear your rattle. Amen.